How are you? Are you well? And those of you online, we're so honored that you've joined us from wherever. We finished a 21-day fast, <clears throat> and I was really excited to just jump into this new series because it was actually a year ago on a study break that I spent time writing this series that we're going to jump into today. So I was so stoked about it. <clears throat> and then a friend of mine sends me a text. And it was a text that his wife wrote about the 21-day fast. And I said, can I have permission to share this? He said, I don't know. Let me find out. So it's always a good idea to ask your wife, ask his wife. She said yes. And so he sent me what she wrote. It's called Beyond the 21, which means what? Beyond the 21-day fast, right. So I was fasting. As I was fasting, I kept picturing this image of how I thought it would be, how I would be when it was finally over, when the 21 days were done, after I'd endured all the hunger, the confusion of what I was learning through all this, and what seemed to be some great January achievement. Indulgence at last. But on, 21, but on day 21, I knew I was to throw away the chocolate for good. Instead of returning to it and continuing with some of what I've been doing, I realized more of what these past 21 days were meant to be. And here's the whole point. It's not about the food. Here's what she said. They were meant to shift my cravings back to my creator. It's not that she wasn't going to do chocolate ever again. It's just that she wanted the cravings were meant to drive her back to the creator. They were meant to remove distractions away from the great distractor. And if I allowed them to, these disciplines would spill over and move me closer where I needed to be. So even in the ability to say, I did it, I checked the box, I made it through the 21 days, woo-hoo for me, there needs to be a bigger woo-hoo for him, the one who helped me through it, the one who was still there beyond the 21, to turn to, to thirst for, to return to, to walk with, and to run to. And he'll be right there with me when someday I buy another chocolate bar. <laughs> Here's what she's saying. I want you to catch the gist of what she's saying, and I, and I wrote it down for you. She said, I realized more what these past 21 days were meant to be. They were meant to shift my cravings back to the Creator. They were meant to remove life's distractions away from the great distractor. And if I allowed them to, these disciplines would spill over and move me closer to where I needed to be. And I love this because that's really the point of our fasting. It was to break through to something else. Now, I'm not saying that you've got to continue to do without your coffee for the next 365 days. I'm not, that's, or your alcohol, or that might not be a bad idea, uh, or whatever it is that you're doing. But, but she's right. She said it so clearly. The fast was not just to check off a box. The, check, the fast was to open a window, open a door into an opportunity of the presence of God. And so what a great segue that is as we start a brand new series called Encounters. And so for the next eight weeks, today and seven more Sundays, we're going to talk about encounters. And we're going to unveil this and layer this over the next seven, six to seven weeks. And so the question is, do I have to do something 
in order to have an encounter with God, or do I just wait for God to encounter me? It's a great question. Do I have to position myself so that I can have supernatural experiences and encounters with the Heavenly Father, or do I, like Moses, just kind of hanging out, tending some sheep, and all of a sudden a bush is on fire and God is encountering me? We are revamping our website. You'll hear more about that. But all I want to share this morning is our new mission statement. And I'll explain a lot more of this, and we will in the weeks and months to come. But our mission statement is really, really very simple. Our goal is to love and lead people into encounters with the fullness of God. That's why we as a church exist, to love and to lead people into what? Encounters with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit, with all the fullness of God. So, so again, do I have to do something, or does God just show up in my life and do something for me? Well, there are ways to increase your encounters with God, and I'm sure there are ways to decrease your encounters with God. Are you with me on this? There's no question about that. And so we know that when we worship like we just did, and we sing amazing grace, and we recognize that it's not ordinary grace, it is truly amazing grace that any of us are even here today or worshiping together, that's an encounter in the secret place when you're reading Scripture and you're praying, and all of a sudden there's a, a truth, there's a flutter in the heart, there's there's a revelation, a, a revealing in the mind. There, there's no question that you're positioning yourself to be able to have some great encounters. But is that the only way that they work? Well, again, there's no question that you position yourself when <clears throat> you repent. Repentance is a really good thing. There, there's no question about you have an encounter when you forgive someone for doing something that was offendable to you. There's no question that you've positioned yourself for an encounter when you get baptized. Every time you give, every time you pray, every, every way that you serve, you are positioning yourself for a great encounter with God. But is that the only way? Is that the way that God works most of the time? Do I have to position my... What if I'm not in a good space? What if I'm not leaning in to the spiritual disciplines of God? What if I'm really not pursuing God on a regular basis? Will God still encounter me? It's a really good question. I have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to answer that. <clears throat> That's what we're going to do the next several weeks. We're going to try to answer that. Today, for no apparent reason, Jesus encounters this man. And he encounters a man who is pretty apathetic, extremely distracted, running several businesses, having many employees, having to pay bills and vendors. And we encounter a man today who, quite frankly, was not looking for God. But God was looking for him. So in our story today, he's sinful, 
He's apathetic. And the question is, is why would Jesus encounter him? He wasn't leaning in. He wasn't even looking for God. Maybe a better question is, why is God encountering you? Why did God come looking for you, perhaps when you weren't even looking for him? I love this story in Luke chapter 5. It's the story of the great apostle Peter. And you got to realize his story was so different before he met Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He didn't really think Jesus was the real deal. His brother said, we found the one. And he's like, found the one for what? I'm busy. I got a fishing industry. I got a fishing business. I got boats. I got employees. I got bills. I got mortgages. I got things to do. And Peter was not looking for God. And so I've started this series because some of you may be watching today or some of you in here or some of you have people in your life and in your family and you're going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to them? This is a story of such hope because what happens in this story is that Jesus is now looking for people and he's trying to encounter them. And so in Luke chapter five, verse one, it says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's a little confusing. It's, there's three different definition terms for the same lake. This is all the Sea of Galilee. This is Tiberias, Gennesaret. It's all the same lake. It's a lake that's 13 miles long and seven miles wide. It's a pretty cool lake. I've been on it. I've, Ethan and I have been on it together. Ethan was singing Walking on the Water, a song that he wrote in five-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. I'll never forget that. We're all about to drown. Luke chapter five, <laughs> verse one. And the people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God. And so Jesus is now teaching the people. What's he teaching them? And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. We quickly learn here in this story that these guys have been up fishing all night long. These are some picks from The Chosen. How many of you seen The Chosen? It's really good. Yeah, you'll recognize some of these pictures. So they're washing their nets and salt water wrecks havoc on everything it touches and certainly it wrecks havoc on the nets and you didn't want the dry rot to occur and so you needed to be able to wash them. Jesus, verse three, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And so now Peter's in the boat with Jesus, maybe 20 yards away, and there's a crowd like this, and they're all listening. It's an incredible story when we see this. Verse four, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. What's about to happen here? See, Jesus is going to get his attention with something that mattered most to him. And I've observed that that's how Jesus gets your attention. Jesus usually gets your attention in an area that matters most unto you. Put out in the deep water, we're gonna let down our nets and we're gonna catch some fish. Simon, verse five, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. This is usually the first reaction to an encounter with someone that's a little apathetic, maybe someone that doesn't want an encounter. Perhaps this is you. 
Perhaps you remember the first four or five times God encountered you and you pushed back. You resisted. You ignored. Perhaps you high-handedly rebelled. You can remember even the pushback in your own life. I'm not worthy. I don't think so. I'm busy. I'm distracted. I got things to do. I got plans. I'm just not sure how God fits into my life. Jesus says, let's go out into the deep water. We're going to go out in the deep water where you can't touch the bottom, where you can't see the bottom. I'm going to take you beyond your comfort zone. The shallow water, you're in control. You're not in control in the deep water. That's what he does to you and it's what he did to me. He takes us out in the deep water where we truly can't touch the bottom. Master, we've worked hard all night, verse 5, and we haven't caught anything but because you say so. I like that verse, because you say so. And every time Jesus speaks, every time God speaks, Every time, even in the garden in John chapter 18, when a group of soldiers came to arrest him and they said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they all fall back in John 18. Every time God speaks, we totally miss Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one was not about history, was not about theology, was not, it is about theology, was not about Um, I'm trying to understand how the world was. Genesis chapter one is 10 times God speaks. And every time God speaks, something is created out of nothing. God spoke, God speaks, and there was light. God speaks, and there was, and it's the power of God. And in this story, an apathetic guy who is pushing back, distracted, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't have time for Jesus, he says, well, because you say so. And there was such power and authority, and there still is. There's just as much power and authority in the words and the word of God today as there was in Genesis chapter one, as there was in Revelation. There's just the same power. Because you say so. I will let down the nets. And then, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And if you saw this in The Chosen, I just sat there and watched that. And as a fisherman, I'm like, Lord, that could be me. Why not me, Lord? I've had so many times where I've come back with the bait. Why not, no fish, why not me? I love that. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break and so they signaled their partners in the other boats, probably James, John, probably his dad, Zebedee. They're all coming over to help them and they filled both boats and they began to sink. God encounters you in something that matters to you. God's not going to come and encounter you in an area that you don't care about, you don't like, you're not interested in. He will encounter you where you're interested to reveal himself unto you. Well, like so many of us, Simon Peter responds in verse 8, get away from me, Lord, I'm I'm a sinful man. Because none of us feel that we deserve God to encounter us. None of us 
in a right mind can say, well, it's about time, Lord. It's about time you showed up. Where have you been? It's me, Lord. It's me, you know. None of us feel that way, especially if we've pushed him away or or we've ignored his whispers or we've resisted or we've rebelled. None of us feel that way. I I just love this story. Why, Why this reaction? Well, maybe this wasn't the first time that God had encountered Peter. Maybe Peter, like maybe you today or others of you today, he's encountered you three or four pretty big times. But if you're really honest, you've, you've kind of ignored it or you've pretended that you didn't hear his voice or you made up a story that it was just circumstantial or it was coincidental that all of those things lined up in such a way. You see, you can't stand up when you really see Jesus for who he is face to face. When you really recognize the awesomeness and the largeness of God and you understand the smallness of who you are and you recognize that he's the creator and you're just the creation, you you do exactly what Abraham did. Abraham in Genesis chapter uh, 18, now I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. The great Abraham recognized he was nothing but dust and ashes. Look at what Job says in Job 42, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and in ashes. And it's the great prophet Isaiah, woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes, my eyes have seen the king, the king of glory. So what's going on here? What's happening? Out of the blue, for a man who's not asking, expecting, wanting, thinking he needs, God encounters him. And this story is so encouraging to me because it's how God rolls. It's the style of my father. My father died, sent his son to die for everyone, and he wants everyone to have a relationship with him. And he's working all the time, encountering people, revealing himself, trying to communicate, trying to be clear that he has a divine plan for your amazing life. My father is is amazing. And and yes, there are things that I can do and you can do. I need to worship, I need to pray, I need to give, I need to serve, blah, blah, blah. All those things create more encounters. We're not talking about those encounters. We're talking about for people in your family and people in your neighborhood and people that you work with that really don't care that much about the things of God. Or they've distanced themselves from, they're not in a good space. And so what if you're bitter? And what if you're angry? And what if you're so disappointed with how life has gone and you're, you're, you're blaming others and you're blaming God? What is God going to do in your life? He's going to come to you. He's going to come to you. He's going to knock on the door of your heart again and again and again and again and again because he's so passionately in love with you. Here's a story 
about a man who was not looking for God, but God was looking for him. It brings us hope. And I also think that God's going to get your attention or your friend's attention or your family member's attention in areas that matter most. It could be he will get your attention and reveal himself because money means the most to you or success means the most to you. He will reveal himself through success or family. It's family that really means the most to you. He will reveal himself through family. He will reveal himself through some of your greatest concerns and some of your greatest fears. I, I see God at work, not in areas where you're not interested, not in areas where you're not concerned. God always tries to intervene and, and intersect in people's lives where they're most interested so that you can see he's interested in you. John chapter 7, Psalm chapter 16 tells us about the Holy Spirit. He says, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I go away. This was Jesus. Unless I go away, the advocate, the one who's the counselor, the one who's coming alongside of you will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I, I, I love that little verse. See, God's, God's ahead of you and me. He's convicting the world of sin. We don't have to get on a pedestal all the time. He's already convicted. There is a straight way, a right way, and God is convicting the world of sin. We play a part. You must see yourself as a carrier of the gospel, but we're just carrying the message, and the, and the messenger is out there at work. And he convinces the world about what's right and wrong and about what's righteousness, and, and he's the great judge, isn't he? So I... I I don't know where you are, but if you're trying to ignore God, God's not going to ignore you. You can protest, you can push, you can get on Instagram and write all your opinions, you can do all that nonsense, but he will not ignore you. He will not let you drive your life off the cliff without a really good fight. He's coming to you. He's coming to you. He's coming to you. And he's coming to your friends, and he's coming to your family. And just like Simon Peter, he'll reveal something that's so dramatic. You see, Peter'd fished all night, and Peter knew the lake, and Peter knows bait, and Peter knows seasons. Peter knew where the fish were supposed to be, and they weren't there. And he's just pushed out a little bit out in the deep water. And all of a sudden, this experienced fisherman is crystal clear that there's no way they can catch that many tilapia in that short a period of time where both boats are going to sink. He knows that. And he's overwhelmed. And you'll have that moment. And at that moment, you'll have to decide who you're going to serve you will have that moment probably many times in the course of your life. So I wanna tell you about when I was a younger pastor, and I'm still incredibly young. 
But I remember, I remember this in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and I am, I'm 28 years old as the senior pastor, which I have concluded you need to be about 109 before you should be a senior pastor. I, I really do. I'm 28 years old, and these people were, were elderly then, and so you'd come to me and you'd say, hey, my, my grandfather is 92, and he's never accepted Jesus as far as we know, and will you go and share Christ with him? And, <clears throat> or my mother is 88, and she's in the hospital, and, or, or, or my, you know, and so it's all these elderly people, and, and, and you were so concerned about them, and so, my gosh, I just felt the pressure. I mean, if I blow this, these old people are going to hell, you know, and, I thought, man, what is the deal with this? And so I'm in the hospital and I'm sharing, you know, with these people and I'm asking them questions and, and I'm, you know, navigating through all this. After about 20 years of doing this, God revealed to me, I have come to that person many times. Kurt, I am not going to leave their eternal destiny in the hands of a young and very unskilled pastor. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, wow. I began to see their life, like turn the telescope around. and Look at it from the other direction. And I began to look and see, the, in the, and I began to ask them questions. They're 92 years old, they're in the hospital. They've got a day and a half to live. And I, I would ask them about, has God ever spoken to you? Has God ever revealed himself to you? Did you have a moment where you knew that God was encountering you? And they would begin to weep. And there was deep regret. Because they knew at 17. They knew at 24. They knew at 31. They could tell me the time at 46. They could tell me when they were 59. And I began to see all these times where God had encountered them, encountered them, encountered them. And I think I was about 45 years old and I realized, my goodness, God did not leave this up to me. He's not leaving this up to, this is far too valuable to leave into the hands of a man that has feet of clay and is trying to figure out how to do all this. And I was so overwhelmed with the power and the greatness of God that it changed my whole perspective on my moment with these people. It was to get them to realize that this wasn't like me at 92 with some old person, first time ever in 92 years, that God had ever broke through the veil. God had ever come from heaven to earth and broke through the veil to speak to. What a liberating moment it was for me. I love evangelism. I love talking to people about Christ. I love asking people if they've made peace with God. I love all that. That's not my point. My point is I began to see that God, this is his job. We're just conduits. We're just at the right place, the right time. We just have a little bit of skill, a little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of money. That's all we have. But just like in this story with Simon Peter, he comes. 
And most of the time then, with these elderly people in their deathbed experiences, the weeping, the deep regret. But praise God, their final release. And nine out of 10 people in that situation Oh man, it's great to see God at work. It's great to see God revealed to them. It's great to see them accept Christ. It's great to see them. Um, and I've baptized many of them. With, we baptized by immersion here, but I dunked them and poured them and washclothed them. And I did everything you can possibly imagine because it's the last moments of their life. But the best part was to realize that God has been encountering you for a very, very, very long time. Probably not today, only. Probably when you were four. Probably when you were 14. Probably when you were at camp. Probably when you were at church. Probably through the prayers of a grandmother. Probably through a conversation with a grandfather. A grandfather sharing his faith with you. The power of a grandfather sharing his faith with his grandchildren. You're nothing like it. So what encourages me about this story is, yes, there are things that we can do, and we'll talk about that, but not today. Not today. Today, God is encountering a man who is not looking to be encountered. And even if you walk away from God, God's not walking away from you. Even if you run from God, God's not running from you. Even if you ignore God, God's not going to ignore you. It's just an amazing God who wants a relationship with you and with me. But then he he buys you back with his blood. He sends Jesus to the cross. And and the payment for you now to be sealed and for you now to be born again, it was the blood. It was the blood. It was the blood. So even if you walk away from Christ today, he is not going to walk away from you. He is not going to ignore you in your own field, your own interests, he will come to you again and again and again and again and give you so many chances. But why wait? Why wait till you're 92 and have some young pastor who's butchering his way through this? Why Why wait? Why not today? Why not now? Why not this very moment? Jesus, I give my life to you. And we're going to sing a great song. They're, they're going to sing it. We're going to sit. It's a song the team wrote about four or five years ago called Encounter Me. And I love the theology, and we're not going to sing it today. We're going to sing it in the future, these next seven, eight weeks. But the the theology of this song is you're basically saying, okay, 
All right. All right, come on. Come on, encounter me. All right, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm willing. I, I'm open. I'm going to acknowledge that you are the Son of God. Come on in. Come on in. So what's your next step? As they sing this great song and you start learning the theology of this amazing song, is it a moment of just gratitude? Oh, I'm so grateful that you came to me at age four. Is it repentance? Do you need to repent this morning? Do you need to ask him to forgive you? Is it confession? Is it accepting Jesus? Jesus, I feel like Peter. I'm a sinful woman. I'm a sinful man, but but you died for, I, I receive you. What do you need to do? That's your time of encounter. The next four or five minutes, we're going to start learning the theology of a great, powerful song. They're going to sing it, but you're going to encounter him and speak to him and let him speak to you.
so he gave it all for you. How can we not give it all right back? If you've never given your life to Christ, that's the smartest thing you can do. Jesus, in your heart right now, Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm a sinful woman. I'm a sinful man. I need you to come and forgive me and cleanse me. I need you. Jesus, I give my life to you. And the beautiful thing about Christian baptism is that you then identify with the greatest event in all of history, Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's the power of Christian baptism baptize you anytime over here in our baptistry. Easter's just around the corner. We're going to do beach, we're going to do pool, a big pool outside again for Easter. We'll baptize. Get baptized. Lean in. Just say yes to all the ways he's encountering you. Just say yes. That's how you honor him. Yes. 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 Forgive people around you. You've been forgiven. Grow. Seek the Lord. Walk in his ways. Yes, go to the meeting place. Yes, go to the secret place. Yes, just spend time. Just, just read through scripture and pray and connect and encounter. Yes. But even with your family and your friends, keep praying for them. But he's coming to them. Probably will use you. But even without that, they're going to come to Christ or give him the opportunity to come to Christ. All right, we're just getting the party started. Uh, we got a lot more weeks to go. Are you up for this? All right, God bless you. I love you very much.